Excuse me, sir. Do you know Universal Studios? The Funny Farm? Yeah, yeah who, who doesn't? Welcome to the Indiana Jones Universe, the podcast that explores the incredible adventures of the world's greatest globetrotting archaeologist, Indiana Jones. Each episode is a casual and somewhat humorous opinionated conversation with a slightly sophisticated analytical study of the expanded universe content from the Indiana Jones franchise. You can expect to find discussions about the adventures of young Indiana Jones, the further adventures of Indiana Jones comic books, the staff of Kings and Emperor's Tomb video games, the Indiana Jones novels, the original soundtracks, and so much more. Hello, everybody, and welcome back uh, to the Indiana Jones Universe podcast. Uh, thanks so much for joining us for episode 76. And today, uh, we are here to finally finish our review series of The Adventures of Young Indiana Jones uh, with chapter 22, Hollywood Follies. Uh, we've finally done it. Uh, it only took us three years, two separate co-hosts, and six steps to hell to finish it. But uh, we are finally here to review the last episode of the show. And because of that, uh, we were thinking maybe there's some way we could sort of change this episode and do something a little bit different, a little bit fun. And we came up with the idea to do a live commentary episode. So uh, usually we prep these episodes in advance where we watch the episode and take notes. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes before we actually record these episodes. But here, we're actually going to be watching the episode live on the podcast and commenting spontaneously over the episode. So we didn't do any prep for this. Uh, so this is kind of an interesting idea that has been done on other podcasts before. Also, usually, uh, like, bonus material on a DVD or a Blu-ray, like a director's cut, you know, where the director will talk over uh, their own film and analyze it. Kind of similar to what we're going to do here. Uh, and this will also give you the opportunity to watch along with us as well if you want to. Uh, or you can just listen to our conversation, you know, as a regular podcast episode. Uh, but I'm excited to try this because this is something new that I think Elijah had suggested and that we thought could be kind of fun. And uh, why not give it a try? So hopefully you guys enjoy this episode. Uh, still the same content, but a little bit of a different format for this. And uh, I'm excited to finish this uh, little adventure we have, Elijah. Yeah, me too. I think this is going to be a fun way of doing it, especially since this is an episode about film. And so we'll be watching it as a film, which I think is kind of fun. And if you guys like this sort of episode, just let us know and maybe we'll do other ones from throughout the series. Yeah, that's a really great point, actually. Uh, if this does work out successfully, it'd be great to do this again on the podcast because, you know, I think, you know, trying different kinds of episodes, I think, is something that, you know, I think we both wanted to do for a while, you know, because we always do our traditional analysis. Um, but, you know, things like a live commentary or, you know, we've thought about, like, radio plays or fan fiction or live script readings, you know, something a little bit different, a little bit more fun, creative, immersive, where we're changing the format of the episode and kind of providing a little bit of a different experience. So, uh, you know, why not give this a try for our last Young Indie review? 
Uh, hopefully this isn't a complete disaster, otherwise we're in trouble. Uh, <laughs> but in any case, uh, let's just get started with this. So this live commentary is set up so that uh, you can actually listen to this uh, as if it's a regular podcast episode, because uh, we actually have the audio of Hollywood Follies playing in the background under our commentary. Uh, so you can listen to this and follow along with our live commentary, uh, just like you would a regular podcast episode. Uh, but of course, this idea is usually done uh, on a, like a video podcast. So if you would like that visual element, uh, Elijah is going to do a little bit of a count off for both of us so that we can sync our video together and press play at the same time. Uh, so if you want to grab out your Young Indie DVD and pull up Hollywood Follies, you're more than welcome to watch along with us. Um, but without further ado, let's get started and watch Hollywood Follies. Ready? Three and two and one and go. Places now, we begin. <laughs> you know, <laughs> as we watch this Paramount uh, mountain go over and the Lucasfilm logo, one thing you had mentioned, Elijah, which I thought was cool since you sort of joined the podcast, you know, uh, when we did Mystery of the Blues, is that this kind of forms a mini trilogy in the 20s with arts, mm -hmm. music, film. I, I really like that idea, actually. Yeah, it was just something I picked up on, but... Right. And of course, we have Ben-Hur here, which uh, inspired the pod race sequence in Phantom Menace, which is kind of cool. George Lucas was really inspired by a lot of these older films. Right. I love how we have Indy watching it, the fedoras there, the popcorn. Also kind of interesting, this movie came out in uh, 1925, yet this episode is in 1920. So a little time travel going on there. Right. Who is he, the doctor? Right. He's wearing the he's wearing the um the suspenders. He is, yeah. And also this is scored by Lawrence Rosenthal because this was a silent film, of course. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've heard I've heard the charioteers or something as a track from the movie. Um I think there yeah, was another remake. And again, I like the idea that we're watching a film with indie, right? It's so meta, as you were saying. I know. I could. I was. I believe when I watched this uh, last time, I was eating popcorn while I was watching indie eating popcorn. Right. Watching this film. And then connecting these episodes, you know, we talk about Sidney Bechet coming back from mystery into scandal. We have George Gershwin who shows up in the theater here. Right. It's the sort of ties this trilogy together. We'll see that in just a moment. Here he is. I think you'll keep me here. And the movies seem like the best place to be when you're depressed. This is right after his defeat. Right, and of course Jonathan Hales uh, wrote Scandal, and he also wrote this episode, so I like the kind of little parallels to that former episode there. Yeah, it's great continuity. And I like how Gershwin sort of sets up the premise of this episode by... You know, why is Indian Hollywood? What is he doing with his summer? Right? And it's kind of interesting that tie in there as well. Yeah, he basically gets a job for him. He doesn't want the popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> I love this matte painting, which actually, if you look very closely off to the right, had a Stetson hat sign, uh, which I oh. think made some of the fedoras at one point. Yeah, very 20s. I love this. I wonder how many of these buildings are still there. I think from the filming locations website, you know, a lot of this was actually California, unlike, you know, Chicago and New York, which we talked about. 
Right. Mr. Jones. Oh man. <laughs> right. That you ran a show like Clockwork, and that you say you should pardon the expression is bacon. That's right. Pardon the expression. Yeah, I like the just dialect here. It's very funny and sort of sets up the farcical element. If he was an orthodontist, we'd have a lot of problems. Out on the coast, I got a moving picture shooting and it's out of control. The director's a madman, a genius, but Mishuga, he thinks money grows on trees. Look how we're having to advertise. He's going to make you hate him. I love this propaganda, which was real too, with Foolish Wives' right. first film to go above a million bucks. Now if you look at that compared to today's budgets in Hollywood. Right. <laughs> I do like the overconfidence we see from Indy here too, especially once Mr. Lemley explains all this. It seems so easy, right? Right. Yeah, and you kind of don't know what's coming, right? Because we don't know Von Stroheim yet. We're not sure what the environment is like. It's very interesting. Right. This is a lot of money back in the day, too. Mr. Lindley, isn't there someone already running the studio? My brother-in-law, Easy Burns. Well, why doesn't he just go down? Nice guy, but a schlemiel. Won't take my calls. Then there's my nephews. I got scores of them. I have a notebook that looks a lot like that book on his desk right there. Oh, really? Yeah, great set decoration. Right? I don't know anything about motion pictures. You don't have to. All you have to do is tell Van Stroheim he finishes in 10 days or else it's kaput. What do you say? Well, I think $300 is an awful lot of money just for delivering a message. Yeah, see, even Indy doesn't even want to accept it at first. $300 bonus if you come through. Mr. Lemley, you've got yourself a deal. Ah, uh, great music cue. And then Indy, obviously, here on this amazing train. He's living the life. I mean, he's reading that archaeology book. He's, I would love to be there. Uh, right. He's getting tea. I mean, it's all going uphill for him. Look at, I mean, look at this train. It's like, it's amazing. you don't see the metro like that. <laughs> right. Oh, I love old trains. That's a big hobby I know. Of mine too. I used to be totally obsessed with them as a kid. Yeah. Now I'm obsessed with boats. And, of course, uh, this funny scene with the quote from today's episode. <laughs> yep, you'll recognize it. I love this yellow cab, too. So authentic. Music here is amazing. Mm -hmm. This big crescendo, right? Oh, that's Hollywood for you, right? I mean, it just sets up this locale so beautifully. Look at all those palm trees. It's interesting how you're kind of invested in this episode just based off the fact that you don't know what's to come, right? I mean, uh -huh. you're kind of aligned with India in that way, right? And again, of course, we're introduced to this environment, right? All these costumes. This is brilliant. I love, I love how chaotic it is. Exactly, yeah. And you'll see more of that. Good luck, yeah, good luck, buddy, right? A little bit of foreshadowing there. Of course, gives him a huge tip. <laughs> He's a wealthy man for the moment. Mr. Jones. Welcome to Universal City, Mr. Jones. Mr. Bernstein. Have a cigar? No, no, no. I... That's all right. 
I'd like to introduce you to some of my associates. This is uh, Abel I love this scene. Solemnly. Yeah, especially the camera pans around to each one. Mm-hmm. Joe Bernstein. Gentlemen, have a seat. Well, I guess you all know why I'm here. Again, this sets up the comedy so quickly right here. Mm-hmm. Oh, is, uh, is Uncle Carl a little bit mad? No, no, no. No, Uncle Carl's not a little bit mad. No, he's very mad. Right. <laughs> the picture's completely out of control. Manny White's the picture out of control. Yeah, Manny, yeah, Manny White's, White's the picture out of control. It's not my fault. I love as well how Von Stroheim is this character that we hear so much about, right? Like, there's such a big build-up to him. And Indy, of course, doesn't realize that when he originally goes up to see him, right, on that first day of the set. He's oblivious. Exactly. He's so oblivious to it. And that's what I think is really great about the characterization here. You can tell these guys have got nothing done, right? <laughs> They're useless. But who's going to tell Stroheim? Someone has to tell Von Stroheim. Would you? Me. That's why I'm here. Again, interesting how Irving Thalbrook is silent here, right? But he's like mm -hmm. one of the biggest characters of this episode. You don't even really see him. I know. He's right. Until he's introduced. That's why he's here. So, where do I find this Stroheim? Don't even ask. <clears throat> I'll take him up. Thank you, Irving. I mean, imagine making this episode, like this scene right here when it transitions to all of this, these sets. I mean, how incredible would this be to make a movie about a movie? Like that to me right. seems just so paradoxical. Nice reference as well to, you know, learning the business, right? Obviously, it was originally an art form at once and, you know, kind of a joke. And now Irving's kind of this businessman trying to make it all work. Yeah, those horses are running right through. He's gonna run them down. It's really not as chaotic as it seems. It's it's really pretty efficient, or it could be if it was structured the right way. Universal City is the largest I like how you just have so many different costumes. Like whoever did the costumes for this episode, they had so much variety. Oh, absolutely. Again, slapstick Chaplin comedy right here. Mm-hmm. It's sort of uh, an homage to old cinema. It is, yeah. The fake oh, snow God, here. Oh, God, not the asbestos. <laughs> Painful. Right, he talks about the two-wheelers, right? These big features, right? That's what's going to make this thing go off. Yeah, this is important exposition right there. Absolutely, yeah. And they also talk about how they're giving tours of Universal City as well, right before that. Right. Also catch that sign, positively no admittance to foolish wives. I would miss this whole world. Cellist? <laughs> right, of course we, you notice that. Emphasis on those footsteps with this silent scene here, very important. Something to be said about the camera work for Claire as well. Miss Kimmy, could you tell me you must be quiet. You already know she's gonna be the love interest. Exactly. And it's even that one look from Indy, it's also the way she's presented. He's not even doing 
she's kind of almost a focal point there, right? I mean, you see everybody mm -hmm. sitting there. Why is she in that desk, kind of in the center almost, uh, right? No, you mustn't disturb him. Tough. Excuse me, Caroline. <laughs> My name is Jones. I just got in from New York. Mr. I love how he doesn't respond, too. It's great. As you can see from this letter, we... I know. He's too good for Indy. We have a serious the monocle, of course. Very iconic. Very. Now I'm sure you're a reasonable man, so... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love the crowd reaction. Yeah, and that's good filmmaking, too. You God, need that for things like that. Okay, great. Well, Mr. Strohan... This is it. I love this. Especially the music, right? This triumphant build-up to his character. Uh-huh. All the history of who he is. He starts to stand. He's the most dramatic character in the whole series. I would actually agree with that. That's a good point. Again, right over his shoulder, we see Indy falling down the stairs. The way they do the camera, yeah. It really gives him power by doing the low shot. Looking up into at him and then looking down at Indy. <laughs> what do you know of my agony? <laughs> Great performance by Dana Gladstone. I know. Amazing. I love this introduction. Right in that laugh from Claire, too. Also, how about Aaron Boy, a reference to Austria 1917. <laughs> right. Poor Indy. Well, you sure called him. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. Look, how much of this movie has he already shot? About 30 reels. How many reels do you need to make a picture? Ten. Ten? Well, how many more does he need? Enough to finish telling the story. I love that idea about storytelling, and that's kind of a big theme, I feel like, for this series that kind of goes unnoticed, right? The idea mm -hmm. of storytelling, I think. Maybe this was the writers kind of giving a little bit of their input into the role of Claire, who was fictitious, by the way. Claire Lieberman uh, didn't actually write Foolish Wives. Really? Yeah, yeah. But Irving is real. Exactly, yeah. How long does that take? A day? Half a day? No, you don't burn down. Again, Indy is so naive. He just, he's he's so, you know, he, he's so obstructed by what's going on here. He just doesn't understand, right? I love that. Yeah, that stutter there is really important. I've only got, <laughs> you know. Lose it, and the picture makes no sense. You don't understand. Look, what is this movie about, anyway? You don't know? No. This shows what's important to Claire's character and how Indy is oblivious. Exactly. It's called the script. I think you better read one before you start making any more Great facial expressions from Sean Patrick Flannery too. I always felt like he was good at that. Mm -hmm. And like he tries to grab the script from her and she's like, "Nope." Yep. Irving, get me a script, right? I love the commissary. This is a great set here. Please. There's just so much here that doesn't seem necessary. Like the fire. No, the fire's important. It's just and this is important, too, because this is the one the moment when Claire originally finally realizes that Indy somewhat understands the script now, right? When he says that right. comment. Right, and you can tell by the way she just looks at him. Yeah. I love the costumes here. How amazing is this? Oh, I love Jack Ford. Oh, my gosh. I love this guy. His glasses are really Harry Potter style. They are. His hair, too. And then, of course, you've got that overcoat. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love the German <laughs> accent remark. Over a million and still climbing. I could make twenty-five pictures for that kind of It's funny because uh, he's Austrian. I also think it's interesting how Jack Ford talks about how he could make twenty-five pictures of that kind of dough. Because that kind of goes to the style of his films, right? That sort of rustic style, right? Um, those adventure movies. That's what Spielberg wanted with Raiders, you know? Yeah, you could say who's being more efficient, you know, with use of resources. And then this is amazing, right? The shot of them watching the actual film, The Foolish Wives, right? And that's when Jack Ford originally said, it's not what's on the page that counts, it's what's up on the screen. And that kind of, it, it depends on, I guess, the director's perspective, uh, because multiple directors will have different views on that. Exactly, and that's what's interesting, because he's such a definitive character and distinctive from Von Stroheim in this case. But you see Claire is just absolutely just immersed in this. She loves this movie. Dana Gladstone also really does look a lot like Von Stroheim. Mr. Bond ever finds out, I'll let you see Relax, this. Ed. Nothing's gonna happen. Trust me. I like how Indy thinks he's in charge. It's it's very funny, right? We've just seen four hours of film. Misrecognition a little bit. Well, he sort of is partially in charge on paper. But that's the thing. His ability and his understanding of movies is kind of... It, it contradicts his role, right? It does. I love the remark about physics class. <laughs> That's really funny. No idea making movies is this hard. How about physics class this tough? You know, something is a cinch compared to this. Where to now? Back to my hotel, I guess. Unless you have a better idea? I almost felt like, maybe just because we're watching it, you know, live like this, but it does seem like his connection with Claire is almost kind of developed off screen because it's so quick when they go and they have this moment here, right? But this all seems like it's the same day. Like, they had breakfast at that place when he read the script. That's true. And now this is the evening and they're here. For him it goes deeper than that. He wants a revolution. What do you mean? And I love this sort of idea of almost Claire paying tribute to George Lucas here a little bit because this was sort of his role on Young Indy, right? He never directed this series. He was always the producer, and Irving wanted the producer to be king. If the producer's a genius... And even Spielberg himself won a Thalberg Award, so look at that, you know? I wonder if that was yeah. intentional. But if the Burns a lot of connections. I do like the closeness, right? They're in this car, though. It seems very intimate. The lighting, too. There's a time around the beginning when you're important. Because all they have is what's here. So awkward. That seems like a very interesting choice by the director to have Both her kind of touch his nose like that. Writer, right? Or I think his forehead at first. Uh-huh. Unnecessary evil. I love that line. So why do you do it then? Because for me, making movies is the most important thing in the world. It's interesting. And Indy is doing the same thing, which is why they don't end up together in the end, right? I mean, think about that as a common theme here. 
he goes off to study archaeology. He doesn't stay with her, so they both do what they love. Uh-oh. It's not Indiana Jones without this, man. <laughs> I have a boyfriend. Tony? <laughs> he doesn't say that, but I just think about that now. I know. But then it's, it's she's the one who's kind of a little bit, you know, naughty here. She's she's doing kind of what Indy did last episode. Indy, I know how we can finish the movie. Ooh, fun fact right there. Look at that little set piece off to the left of the door. That's the sign from the Royal Garden Club in Scandal. I love that reuse of the prop. That's a great detail. Of course, I could kiss her. I already did. I love that line. I know. Great line. And that's her, like, passion project she'd been working on. Yeah. She cared a lot about it. My word of honor. I've never seen Sex and Satan. I'm not sure if I want to. <laughs> now, this is a really creative moment here with the music. I'm sure you have a lot to say about this. This is my favorite point in the episode. Carmina Burana. What a moment. Um, it makes everything so much more dramatic. His castle is a real place in Santa Barbara. Of course, you can see him walking so aggressively. That door knocker, right? I love how, as you're about to see, it goes from, you know, non-diegetic and then it becomes diegetic. I, I love how the guy just moves aside <laughs> Andy's face when he walks in with just no sort of confrontation there, right? His attitude right there is very reminiscent of Prague. It is, yes. I think we talked about that at one point. And then, of course, the timpani's there, too. You got the whole choir. That pool. I want to visit that. <laughs> the way he rolls his eyes. Right. I never noticed that before. It is very similar to Prague in that way. Just the comedic aspect of it. Which is so contradicted in the second half. Mm-hmm. I love how Stroheim is not afraid of anything. I mean, heck, he just know. walked up naked in front of the entire choir. And whoever that lady is. <laughs> <laughs> and then you see the, you know, the, the painting up there. And I know. it pans down. It's hands like the down. transition from him naked in the pool to right here. Right. Really good. Oxblood? No. That reminds me of Transylvania. And... We don't want to be reminded of that. <laughs> oh, my God. I love how he says delicious. That makes it worse. Delicious. <laughs> Some caviar? No, I already ate. Listen, Mr. Stroheim, I want that film back. It's again, I think it's that hierarchy, that social dynamic is different. Yeah. Right? They're both at the end of the table. Listen, I'm getting tired of horsing around. Then give me the film back. He speaks in third person. He does. I love this, right? He denies it completely, right? Mm hmm. <laughs> Raiding his castle. We'll see that happen in a couple years. So what's the plan? Well, there's only one And this is, I think, when this trio really gets established as these types of characters. You know what I mean? Like, making yeah. these plans, right? This very Prague-esque type of episode. Sort of like uh, Indy with Hemingway and, um, and... Don't you see the story's over? Elliot? Elliot, that's right. This is perfect. Then all we have to do is kill him. Von Stroheim has to die. 
He's quite excited about that idea. I know. Just <laughs> casually talking about murder. He has to die, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't love the lighting in this shot. It seems a little odd to me. I don't know. It just seems like almost all Well, it's really there. hard to get a good night shot, I'd think. Probably, you're right. And the way the camera's angled there. Tony. Tony. Tony? <laughs> that is the funniest, you know, delivery of anyone's name I've ever heard. Tony was history. Uh-huh. Tony was history, right? Indy's in the history books at this point. The day I lose Tony is the day I lose my sense of humor. If I lose that, I may as well die. No, I love the guy. Well, I thought you said that you loved me. It's interesting, too, this parallel between Scandal. Jonathan Hales, great writer here, right? Have you ever loved three women? And then the musical cue, you can hear Rhapsody in Blue. Wait for it. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I have three loves. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I did hear that. that attention wow. to detail there. Wow. You? Reminds me of when John Williams put in the Yoda theme in E.T. Exactly. So what if we're two ships passing in the night? Let's enjoy it. Now, that might be the worst idea I've ever heard. <laughs> Two ships <laughs> passing in the night. God knows you're only young ones. Uh, I do like how she talks about, What is about, this, Titanic? Though, yeah, right, exactly. Like, her sense of humor, right? That if she... You know, Tony is history. Interesting. That she's still tied to him, even though we don't know who he is, right? Well, no, it's not scheduled mm -hmm. until next month. Next month? We've got all that stuff for the Italian prince to shoot first. Oh, no. Oh, no. This is when Indy <laughs> gets incandescent with rage here. Everyone knows their silent films, though, because there weren't sound in films before this, which means that that line is more for us as the audience than it is for the characters wow, in the scene. Wow, great observation there. Good point. And that's sort of similar to what we see in other episodes, like with the fact that, you know, a lot of people speak English when Indy's off in World War One, except for mm -hmm. some careful moments when there's actual, you know, German and we see subtitles. Interesting, those changes. Right. Wait a minute. This is beautiful. I love the way you see Indy thinking, too. Again, facial expressions are key. Good acting. I love that guy's bow tie, too, and his glasses, whoever that guy is. I think his name's Chuck, right? You seem to have a thing for bow ties. This is when Indy's moral compass goes south, both literally and metaphorically. Right? <laughs> Kidnapping him, dumping him across the border. Like, what in the name of God? Mr. Vaughn said... That's an order. Yes, sir. Chuck, Chuck, Chuck. You didn't hear any of this, right? Little young Indy theme creeping in there? On the bassoon, right? Or is that oboe? So where do we find this mask? I think it sounds like a bassoon, yeah. Doug Fairbanks and Mary Pickford are giving a party tonight. The prince is sure to be there. This is an interesting scene with the tango here. Sounds kind of like Cantina Band almost for a moment right there. I know, I love this music though, too. And also, Claire's costume design feels very elaborate, both here and at the Embassy Theater towards the end of the first half. Mm -hmm. It's really well done there. Right, we show them dancing. Great shot as they transition with this panoramic shot here into them walking through the door. Right, they're the focal point. Okay, so where's Massimo? Oh, there he is. Where? They spot him so quickly too. How do they, how do they know it's him? It's more like a right. So more like a waiter. 
make sure he's nice and plastered first. <laughs> plastered. He's already doing that anyway. <laughs> this scene reminds me of Indy on the airship uh, with that soldier when he's like, Ah, oh, guten Tag, you know, Irving going over there and <laughs> talking uh, right over to Prince Massimo. Interesting choreography with this sort of elaborate dancing here. But also, what is the point of this? <laughs> I, I, I love the way the camera goes upside down for that. I know. You know, interesting, movies always move in three, and it's interesting that they only dance twice there and look down. Hello. Right. <laughs> oh, you can tell he's hobbling around. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. How are you enjoying the party, Your Highness? I love this part. Cousino Yoso, it's so boring. Yeah, it's so boring. <laughs> bad, bad. They just go along with it, right? Oh, really? Look at Irving's face, too. I love his accent, too. I <laughs> say... How did he get him plastered that fast? <laughs> well, he was already drinking, like, oh, when we right. saw him first. Oh, God. I love how he's just hobbling around in the back there. See, that actually, that shot of them in the car looked better at night than the other one. Yeah. I like that one more. But the background looks a little static. It does. There's a lot of matte paintings in this one as well. He's very sick. He needs tequila. <laughs> I love how he quickly just hands her the money. <laughs> it's like it's a hot potato. I know, right, right. I love this track. It's funny how this one, yeah, juxtaposes, you know, the second half so much. And the music, too, it adds to it, right? Mm -hmm. And then Irving's quote here, see you back at the trenches. I'm not a huge fan of this scene right here, necessarily. Oh. There's one moment of dialogue. It feels almost too forced, right here. It feels like Attack of the Clones. And he just responds with the same thing. It's Padme and Anakin all over again. Hey. <laughs> Careful. Right, Indy, I think I'm falling in love with you. I think I'm falling in love with you, too. Like, something a little bit more original there I would have liked. Yeah, yeah. Although, again, I love how elaborate her costume is, too. And then that little sort of look at him, right? Very innocent. Right there. And here we go with Stroheim. I love this percussion, you know. I snare. love that introduction, too. Like, the way that the, the, the car figurehead sort of comes into the screen with the music. It's very militaristic and he's all in uniform exactly oh kind of going to the character good point there you think he's gonna go for it you're in stuka if he doesn't what is that if i remember correctly this is only the second time we've seen stroheim yet right no third third yeah I'm supposed to die. Also, why is Claire there? Or how does... 
Because <laughs> Claire is already there, even though she's fired. Right. I love this line. Amazing delivery and accent here. I have had an inspiration. I am a genius. Write this down. But Mr. von Stroheim, he fired me. Look at the guy in the background, the face he made when she said that. Did you notice? Oh, yeah. Hey, he looks a little bit like Puccini back there. <laughs> I think it's very important in filmmaking that you always observe everybody's reaction to something. I think it makes it feel more realistic that way, right? Mm -hmm. Like that we're seeing Indy and Irving, right? Kind of like, oh my god. What is he, leaning on his hat right there? Did you see that? Right. And here we go. A million flowers. How can he get that in 10 minutes? <laughs> Those are some de demands right there. Steep demands. But then look at this. It transitions right to that same scene in Foolish Wives. How amazing. That music cue too shows them just falling asleep. Look at the way they're same positions, too. You're right. Donna Gladstone looks just like Stroheim. I mean, the hat, the uniform, the monocle. Attention to detail here. What are we shooting tomorrow? The duel, where the Count fights with the American ambassador. There's a duel? If there's a duel, why don't... Forget it. The Count wins. Also, why is she still in that same outfit? Or is this the... Maybe it's the same Maybe day? it's late at night. I think it looks... I don't know. This is a very young indie moment right here when they both say his name like this together. And the cue. Yeah, that's such an indie moment. Bring me the pistols. Yes, sir. They are loaded. Only with... The look he gives. I am supposed to use black. This is dedication. Right. Very well. Today I make an exception. Thank you. They're all very relieved. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. He said he'd be here. I really am curious how they put this set of a set together. Right? I'll explain it to you later. What's happened? Like they had their own set for Hollywood Follies and then another set for this movie. How cool is that? It would have been funny if they like filmed this episode with the old equipment. Right. You know, we see Von Sturheim as such a comedic character, but here he's really lauded for his, you know, idea about this scene, especially from this other character, this, this, you know, guy in the duel. He's like, wonderful, Mr. Von, right? I love that. I love this scene right here where he points the gun at the camera. Mm-hmm. What is that? You bought marbles? What for? I'm going to roll them in the ground at Sturheim's feet when he fires. What? Where does he come up with this stuff? Because you know the writers had to come up with this too. Then slowly I raise my pistol and shoot you between the eyes. Wonderful, Mr. Bond. Right, there he's really... <laughs> he's bought into the idea. I love this quote right here too. Do you have any better ideas? No. <laughs> this does feel very prog-esque now that you bring that up. 
again, the stage directions from that other guy, too, is important. Mm-hmm. All feels very realistic. Interesting, because it looked like he was doing pizzicato for a moment, the cellist. I like how they show the marbles, too, before that shot. <laughs> <laughs> the mood is ruined. <laughs> and this is where you see how of an eccentric director he is, right? They're never going to get things done if you're cutting this scene and just doing it after lunch because the mood is ruined, right? But then again, he's so successful that way, right? Being so creative. He's full on the artist side of it and not at all in the business side of it. Exactly. Which is where you have these competing characters. Well... No, I'm just a guy who makes westerns, right? Seventh Calvary to the rescue. Like, you see his fun antics about him when he buys into all this, you know, just absolute craziness. Don't stare, guys. What if Vaughn sees me do it? No, shh, don't say that. Look. Go, go, go. Down the hatch. I love his fedora, too. Mm-hmm. I love all the fedoras of the other characters besides Indy. They're very authentic. This poor guy. Sir? He's just trying to do his job. He's asleep already. You're already I love the old mirrors with the incandescent light bulbs surrounding the edges. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, Indy. Pulling the rug. That makes a horrid sound. <laughs> <laughs> He looks worse than Massimo. <laughs> He's way more plastered. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then the roll of the tongue there. Uh-huh. Forgive me. Get on with it. And this part. Start the scene. Start the scene. I love how the guy looks back. He's like, hey, that's not... Who are you? Why, why are you saying this? I love that from <laughs> Indy. I love that from <laughs> Indy, yeah. Also, how does nobody else, or maybe they just don't say anything, but nobody seems to pick up on any of this, besides Indy, Claire, and Irving. Right. Turn. Fire. And then I love how he knows it's Jones immediately. Look at this part. Uh -huh. Look at his eyes. Look at the that. way he looks at him. The, poor <laughs> <laughs> the poker chips. Cut. Oh, I love the pop of the champagne there. That's just so indie, right? It's, I, it. I do not like popping champagne. It seems so messy. But I mean, the fact that they got that though, unless I mean, unless it was fake. I mean, how did they get that in this shot? That wasn't fake. It's funny how the pace of this is so fast. 
you know, because mm-hmm. usually when I watch these episodes for the podcast, you know, I'm stopping and really being critical with these, which, you know, I, I like doing this spontaneously, but of course we're not saying as many comments, of course. That's true. I like it this way. It's very interesting to watch it just so naturally. Yeah. Feels a lot faster. I think this is a really pivotal scene here because Von Stroheim, to us as the audience, I mean, if this is the first time you're watching it, I do think you kind of get tricked into thinking that he is sort of giving up. Right. But of course, we really know that he's just sort of playing with him, right? He gives him the tickets. He's like, I'm a realist, right? I know a good opponent when I see one. He is not a realist. Yeah. He's a romantic. Right? And you really, I think, see that with this scene. A last farewell, if you will permit me. Sure. He's like, no, I'm a sentimental fool, right? But it's all just fake, right? He's just covering up. He's the just facts. acting. Yeah, he wants to give India distraction. Hard on yourself. I'm. I'm sure the picture will turn out just great. You are right. I am a sentimental fool. Enough. I wonder what Von Stroheim was like in real life, right? I mean, we talk about Picasso being very flamboyant. I wonder if this was also a little bit of an adaptation here. There is a gala premiere I was planning to attend, but under the circumstances, you will take the beautiful Claire. Which I, gee, I, I don't know what to say. Thank you will be sufficient. Embassy Theater, Under Crimson Skies, that was a film that came out during the time too, but a little bit later, I think, in the 20s. Mr. Jones? I love those flashing cameras there. We don't even see mm-hmm. them, they're just on the Red faces. carpet scene. Right. And again, how elaborate are their costumes here? I mean, this is incredible. Look at the white bow tie. And again, Claire knows it, right? She's like... She knows him better, yeah. This feels very Palpatine. It wasn't the first time. It wasn't the first time. Right. <laughs> There is something he can do about it. I've got You get to do sex and Satan. I need to talk to her. I'll see you later. Oh no, not Gloria. Different Gloria though. I guess you'll be leaving soon. I like how they go right next to this poster. How amazing. I know, it's a clear reference. It is. And actually, that's a film that uh you cannot find it anymore. It doesn't exist really. Really? Fascinating. Yeah, the all the all the footage has been lost. But I believe it was an influential film. This also feels a little bit like a wedding. I mean, look at how they're dressed. Look at the way they kiss there and how... And then the photos. The photos. I mean, the clapping. How, how does Tony not know about this? If Strohan know, knows they're dating, like, right? <laughs> he's going to be reading the paper and he's going to see that on the front page. <laughs> I love how they switch the number, too, of how much it's costing. That's a very big moment of foreshadowing that he's still filming, right? Right. Because they change the number and they're still making more, you know, using more money for this thing. That's a great detail. Great pairing of uh, Indy's, Indy's line there and the music stopping at the same time. George, where is everybody? They all went to Mexico. To Mexico? They came in last night. Mr. Von Strudelheim's orders. Mr. Von Strudelheim's orders? <laughs> but how did he know? Dear Von, stranded here in Mexico, stop. Only you can save me, stop. Come quickly, Massimo. 
Right, like, it's so funny that Prince Massimo is what causes all this havoc, right? I mean, he was the one who, they just they just dumped him off the border thinking it was so easy, but it came back to right. him. It's from Mr. Lemley. I've been fired without my bone. You think you've got problems? This is from Lemley, too. I've just been made head of Universal Pictures. You know what my first assignment is? I mean, Carl feels kind of naive to me. How does he think Irving's going to figure it out, right? I mean, I guess it serves the story, you know, to move it along. And then we get to see the second half of this episode. Right, so this is kind of the mini-transition here. But it's much more fluid than, say, pairing two episodes together, of course. And this is going to be the first time we see Tony, I believe. Yes, you're right. Again, I love these sets. Look at that. I mean, we got all sorts of stuff over here. He just falls into this bin. <laughs> oh my god, Tony. I mean, you have to admit, I was laughing with Claire when he fell in there. Uh-oh, look at Indy right there. Oh, that's Tony. She says friend Tony. I don't know if I'd call him a friend. I know. She said he was her boyfriend a moment ago. Yeah, he's a slapstick artist or a writer, right? Like, <laughs> back to the commissary. I love how they show the sign, too. And then, of course, we show how, and that's what I love about this episode, everything moves along very well, right? Like, this was the final TV movie, right, on the Family Channel. George Lucas knew this was going to be the last episode, and I feel like he did some very detailed things here, right? We knew Jack Ford mm -hmm. is kind of coming back, uh, and now he's the focal point of the second half. Right, Sex and Satan, right? Irving recommended her earlier. Right. You want to come work for me? Just like Indy got recommended to Universal Pictures. Pay's not good, but it'll get you that ticket. That's got to be back in a couple of weeks. So all the time I got, two day prep. I really love the second half of this episode. Yeah, I like it more. Originally, when I first watched it, I liked the first half better. I I, I kind of have changed my mind. I think. I feel like the second half feels more genuine. It does. I love his one-liners, too. Yeah, we're burning daylight, right? Like, so Jack Ford, right? These just fun little elements here. Interesting. And of course, right, we see her sort of twiddle her hair there. Mm -hmm. And then back to the stage. What is this, Lawrence of Arabia? Oh, King Kong. Cannon. Oh, yeah. Wow, look at that set. That's an amazing piece right there. Oh, yeah. You know, it looks like they all got assigned scripts, right? Which I guess must be sort of a business type of thing, mm -hmm. right? Because they don't even know who the writer is. They don't even know what it's right. about. Right, you just come in, find a script. You're like, oh, I'll use this one, and then go shoot a film. Right, or he doesn't in this case. They create their own. Love these lines here. Reference to Ireland. This isn't the only reference to Ireland in this episode. Great point. Yeah, and John Ford was big on the stunts, too. Hence why we see that final scene here. You're named after a dog, I'm named after a car. We should get along fine. I love that line. Jack, they said you were coming over. 
I love Harry Carey too. Well, it's another piece of junk. Right, so now they rewrite their own script, whereas they just got one picked up, right? And this is, you get to see the writing process here. Yeah, I like that. What did we do this time last year? Muting farmers and ranchers. Let's just reverse that. And it's so spontaneous, too. I love the second half and the way it's so spontaneous, right? I like the visual comedy here. Right. Like, everything doesn't work. But it's it does in the end, right? And embittered... Freelance outlaw. Now, old Flint, he wants to farm us out. So, what does he do? Sets up my only best friend to get me. A marksman. Killer. Yeah, a killer. All right, all right. So now you see old Flint and this man for what they really Also, I have to give a little credit to both Stephen Caffrey and Michael Schultz here. Like, I think it was clearly evident that Michael Schultz kind of told... Stephen Caffrey, how to be a director, right? How to sort of create a film. It's so obvious that he feels like a natural director. Even though he's an actor. I want you to go over the water hole. It's on Hollywood and Coanga. It's where the rodeo cowboys hang out and wait for bit parts and movies. Ask for Wyatt Earp. Oh, yeah. Listen to that track. Oh, yeah. I like how he knows him. I love that trolley. Very authentic. Right, California. Also, there's the Royal Garden sign again from Scandal 1920. Great reuse of the props. Where? I don't. Oh, oh I saw it. Yeah, right above the trolley there. And then I love this music cue as well for the water. Look hole. at this classic. This is classic, classic Western, Western, Western trope. Right. You literally can't get any more classic than this. I like the guys eating like ribs. Right, the tablecloth. Right, the checkered squares. Walking through the swinging doors. Oh, I love that shot. Amazing. The look of everybody. Hi, I'm looking for Wyatt Earp. Do you know where I can find him? Look at his hat. I know. And uh, you were telling me you watched another film the other day with Leo Gordon, the guy who plays Wyatt Earp, who looks just like him. Yeah, in fact, he basically is the same character. Uh, the movie's called Maverick. It's some Western... Uh, which it was it was pretty funny. It has a lot of scenes actually that kind of remind you of this episode. Uh, Mr. Earp? There's a moment where the main character gets dragged underneath a wagon that's pretty much running away and he has to climb on top and take control of it before it goes off a cliff. And it was that was the 90s, right, too, that film? Mhm. Mm it was the same year, I believe. I think it was 1994. Oh wow. Well, why didn't you say so? He's okay, boys. Yeah, and I love the chuckle here, right? You think Indy's about to be shot down, right? And then he's like, why didn't you just say so? And, every, and everything goes back to normal, right? Harry, now. Wow, that is an amazing... Show don't tell. Harry, yeah, now. look at that. How it quickly transitions back and forth from the rifle you to the mean? glass breaking. Uh, that is amazing. He really educates about, you know, what's an effective weapon. He's like, what, you want to scare off the critters with that little handgun? Right. <laughs> and then he makes it perfectly. And you see Indy, too. Again, his reaction is so important. Mm -hmm. He's just amazed by this. Well, you had to ambush them back. 
That's if you survive their ambush. But how? Was it, was it a showdown? <laughs> there was no honor among thieves. As a face-to-face -face shootout, the OK Corral was a fluke. Never should have happened. Yeah, well, I, I need a good gunfight, something real. It's interesting how he's all about just spontaneity, and Jack wants to plan this, yet that's what happens in this film, right? Right. First you overawed your man, then got as close as you could. Come up on him from behind, then plug him through the back with a Winchester. Well, I can't have Harry shoot somebody in the back. Why not? It's what happened. Because it's not heroic. It's like contrasting the reality versus the romanticized, fictitious Hollywood side. You're absolutely right. And that's what makes a good okay. quality, gritty film, right? Like, that's fun to watch. A good bad guy. Good. Then you can draw their fire, trick them out into the open, and shoot them face off. I wish I had tried. That sounds like it might have worked. I love this. Right, yeah, yeah. I love Indy sort of typing this all, making the script. Scripts were different back then with no dialogue, of course. It was all mainly staged uh, directions. Don't worry about it. Keep typing, Indy. Tries to convince Harry to stay. Again, this panoramic Harry shot of all of them. Tells her to go back to Slim and try and start afresh. She agrees and heads back towards the farm. Heartbroken. The funny farm? You got it? Farm. Heartbroken. Alright. Harry. I will say, I feel annoyed because, like, the typing of the keys doesn't seem like it corresponds with what they're saying. Oh, I see. Right, he's like, this is the best eight reels I've ever shot, and yet the script was horrible, right? Like, I love this, I just sort this. of dynamic. Mm -hmm. He's like, I know we can do this, guys. They, you know, have a good moment here. Six Steps to Hell. They kept the same title, too. Six steps to hell. Yep. Six steps to hell. Andy drinking his scotch. Also, look at that. It's Sophie's Locket. Yep. I love that they always bring that back. And it still has the bullet dent in it. Right, Indy's, you know, looking at Claire there. I do like the dynamic between them in this next, I think it's like maybe a five or six minute sequence, you know, where they talk about this sort of idea of relationship. I think it's a nice theme that comes mm -hmm. out of the episode as well. I wonder if that locket's sitting somewhere at Skywalker Ranch. Oh, imagine. It, it definitely is. Right again, their views are now aligned when he understands what she does. Mm-hmm. Not that she would ever understand archaeology, but... <laughs> <laughs> Who's to say? Yeah, again, I really love the intimacy between them. I love how there's always moments when Indy almost becomes something else, right? Like, right. he almost was a diplomat in Winds of Change. He's almost a movie uh, stunt guy in Bollywood Follies here. Nice beach house. I wouldn't mind living there. Yeah. I don't love that shot there. 
I wonder if that was a stock footage or something. Very Ham and eggs at 4 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> and then look at this moment of great, uh, this visual moment here, right? As he opens the fridge, he sees the photo. Amazing. I like the stove. Did you see that? Yeah. Very authentic as well. What's the problem? There's no problem. Yes, there is. You have that sulky little boy left. No, I don't. Yes, you do. Like somebody ate all of your corn. I know. <laughs> uh, that's a great moment, too, of cinematography. Look, they show the photo first, and then it pans to his face. Yep. Now she actually admits that he's her boyfriend. It's just a little hard for me to accept. And again, the, the I love Jonathan Hales in this episode and what he did with the script because it's such a contrast to Scandal. Indy now right. doesn't understand her having, you know, two different uh, guys in her life. Listen, you belong to me. Little social dynamic here, right? right? Obviously, of the times, masculinity, right? Well, that doesn't mean you own me. I didn't say that. No, but you think it. Right, and she's an independent writer, right? Kind of like Kate almost. Like I'm some piece of merchandise. Well, think again. That's not what I meant. Well, if you knew me, you'd know that I don't think like that. Maybe we just don't know each other very well. No. I guess we don't. Yeah, I mean, the time they've spent together is so is so short, yeah. right? And this is when Indy's like, you know, we got two weeks. Why don't I make the most of it? Yeah. You're leaving for Chicago. Except for one day on location, I'll still be around for two weeks. It's also interesting how they portray Tony as well in this episode, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we kind of see him at that one moment at first. And, like, then, of course, we see him a little bit later when Indy's off to Newhall. And they have that one exchange where they meet each other. I mean, it's, I, I, it seems like maybe he now knows what's going on, even though he was so naive at first. I have a job here. A whole life. I love you. Right, the whole I love you thing. And then this, again, they're both doing their passion, which, you know, I guess outweighs their love for each other in the end here. It draws them to separate ways. It does. You know, I said this in the character episode, and I'm wondering if I'm... I, I had Claire on my list because she kind of feels a little bit Marion-esque to me, you know, with sort of her spunk and personality, especially in the first half a little bit, and also later when she comes to visit him. I, I guess I do sort of pick up on that, yeah. But yeah, like, she seems like... I feel like they'd make a good match together. Again, great acting from Sean Patrick Flannery, too. And you really see what he's feeling there. That's a good shot of the beach house, I think, now. Oh, yeah. That's way better. This reminds me of Last Crusade, uh, with oh, the yeah. seagulls on the beach. Next thing you know, you've got somebody with an umbrella coming in there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Just remembered my Charlemagne. Yeah, the birds of Charlemagne. Hard to get that lighting right with the background still in focus. I love this character, Pete. He's amazing. I know. He's he's. I think he's my favorite from this half, if not Wyatt Earp. Look at these days. And again, he's he's Pete's like Indy now. He's like, you can't do this, you can't do that, right? Interesting. Yeah, he has the same role now. Yeah, now he's like Indy. Sun up to sundown. Jack, this is meant to be a two-reeler. 
And I love this idea that Jack Ford wants to break the boundaries of filmmaking, right? This is all he has, he's going to do the most he can with it. Right. It's a cool clipboard. <laughs> I love that line. Everyone's asking him questions, right? Again, the chaos you were talking about earlier. Yes, that's what I expect, Chief. And this is not what I want. I don't want anything fancy. I don't want anything new. I want something very simple. Give me a shawl or something like that. And don't forget that phonograph. He's gone. He's gone. <laughs> he's gone. <laughs> and he's really his right-hand man, you know? And then, great transition here. Does that answer your question, Pete? Right, he's talking to Indy, then he says the same thing to Pete. <laughs> I just love his accent. I love the set too for this, uh, I guess, administrative building or something. And all the phones ringing in the background. Now here's the music I love. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Them all getting ready to leave Newhall. I mean, you really feel the size and atmosphere of this locale. It's amazing. Oh yeah, listen to that track. Oh, I love this music. Love the whistle in there too. It's so hard not to like whist sing along or something. I think you had commented last time this sounds a little bit like Aaron Copeland's Hoedown. Yep. Uh, which is a, a nice little comparison there. Same yellow cab. I wish it was the same cabbie, that'd be funny. I know. I love where he's like, how many directors meet you at the cab, right? <laughs> I love that little plug from Jack Ford when he's like, carry you know, the bags yeah, up. Yeah, carry all the bags up. Oh, this music too. Oh, I wish they had a soundtrack release. Emmy Award for Best Score in 97. Or 95, can't remember. I think it was 95. Classic old horn, right? Yeah, especially this part. This sounds like Copeland. Yeah. With the violins. Yeah, oh yeah. Ooh. And then this is when Tony finally comes back here. And you, and I like how you can hear them before he even opens the door. Right? You see that there's a different world going on here, right? They have their own relationship. Right? She's touching his hand. Like his like Indy's nose. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> <laughs> You see her eyes light up there, right? And she's like, Indy. Also, she's very less uh, worried about having Indy and Tony meet, I guess, compared I to Indy and Scandal, right? I mean, look at him. You can see him in the back there. He's fully aware. And I would assume he can hear them as well, right? Like, Oh, of course. Classes start on the 5th. As it is now, I'll already be two days late. He looks at him, right? Finally, close up on Tony. This is Tony. Tony, this is Indy. Hi. Nice to meet you. You're lucky to be working with Jack. He's one of the best. It'd be really funny if Tony was a historical character who was actually a slapstick artist. <laughs> oh my god. 
see who can you got it right, man. I'll see you. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's a nice moment between them. Of course, he does the responsible thing of stopping that kiss right there, right? He like he walked away. And of course, they both look back at each other at different times. That happens in another episode with another love interest, I feel like. Yeah, I don't remember, though. Oh, London, I think, with Vicky. Now look at Pete, worried about a stopwatch. Like, you you understand his, his you know, anxiety about this, right? Right. Oh, great music again, too. Wow. Indy's running to catch up the car. You see the locket flying around. <laughs> I thought you was murdered, son. <laughs> it's amazing. Right, he's got a list of everybody they're trying to wait for. You can see the map paintings there, too. Right. There she goes. Ah, bad shot there. You can tell that's not... That big back lot, and now it's just a small trail. I love this part. This is like my favorite part of the um, the shoot itself. That trumpet, right? The amazing clouds, that vista. Feels very uh, Last Crusade, young, young Indie-esque, right? Mm -hmm. With River Phoenix. It does, yeah. Here he comes, <laughs> rolling in, right? Wyatt Earp. Good morning, Mr. Ford. A great day for a Western, hey? Love that quote. I knew you would. I love the one-liners <laughs> in this. Oh. Like, that's a big part of the Indiana Jones films, and I feel like they capture that in this show. Like, mm -hmm. full throttle, no breaks, right? There's even a couple more in this episode. Yes, beautiful. Shame we can't shoot it. Who says we can't? Stop the car! Pull up! What, now? Stop the car! And here's the spontaneity of it. I mean, they stop immediately, and Jack Ford's just telling everybody what to do, right? I love this part. We get that Copeland music, yeah. Exactly. And here we see Harry and Kitty finally working together. Everybody has their own role. Look at the concertina right there. I love the way they show what goes into it. Exactly, it's so authentic to me. Thank you. Miss Maybach, could you move a little closer, please? Close enough so you can touch. And of course, the instructions here, right? Obviously, you wouldn't hear any of this in a silent film. I need music. You're right. That's a good detail. Irish eyes. Yep, another reference to Ireland, 1916. Okay. Quiet, please. And we're rolling. Look at that. I mean, that's just amazing. Sebastian? All right, Kitty, I want you to take his hand. We don't want him to go. Gaze into his eyes. Slowly let his hand slip away. It's funny how they okay. planned something so spontaneous within the diegesis, right? Right. Like, this had to be all planned for the episode, but it feels so spontaneous, and I love it that way. I wonder if the sunset is actually real. 
I would imagine it's a matte painting, but who knows. And then it transitions into non-diegetic music right here. I love that change. And that's Indiana Jones for you. And this is another great parallel, right? The films of John Ford inspired Lucas and Spielberg, and we see where that inspiration comes from right here. Right, this is a Last Crusade type of shot. Indy smiles a little bit. He knows he's going to do that eventually. <laughs> Dear Claire, I've been thinking about our relationship. I love the campfire scenes, too, for obvious reasons, which we'll see in a second here. So you can understand why Blackjack felt justified in killing Titan. Titan had broken the code. Code? What code? Well, one he lied. Two horse stealing, three woman stealing, four cowards, five double crossing a friend, and six. I love the stories from Wyatt Earp, too, right? That's a common theme here. I love, yeah, the, the sort of campfire. How you doing, Jones? kind of loner no why don't you come over here and join us i love this part right ladies and gentlemen i think mr jones misses his woman oh. well then he should get himself a horse <laughs> <laughs> oh writing her a letter yeah i just i really don't know what to say this costume he has here indies you mean Bowers. yeah the sort of wool jacket slightly reminds me of um, yeah. Mystery of the Blues. With that writer. What's his name? Yeah, his name is Tony. She's with him right now. So he was setting to steal his woman, huh? No. I... Right, and again, Indy sort of feels attacked there when he says, you're setting to steal his woman, huh? Again, Scandal 1920 again. Before I go back to Chicago. What are you going back to Chicago for? Mr. Jones is studying to be an archaeologist. Again, they always emphasize the archaeology in these episodes, which is funny because the whole show really doesn't have as much of a parallel to the movies, yet that is a big point of emphasis. The only one is uh, Treasure of the Peacock's Eye. Right. Ooh, harsh words from Wider up there. Alright, <laughs> talk is cheap in this business. Yeah, maybe you're right. Of course I'm right. In a couple of years, you'll be digging up some Egyptian pharaoh's tomb and don't even be thinking about her. Best line in the episode here. Exactly. It's no lie for a woman. Share on a bed with a man and his mummy. <laughs> <laughs> I love the laugh from everybody. <laughs> a man and his mummy. Oh, that's amazing. It's, see, it's it feels so natural to us as an audience, right? This feels like right. they're all by the campfire, right? They're having this great discussion. And of course, Jack Ford comes up with this brilliant idea to tell her that she's better off with the other man. I guarantee you. If you let her go, she'll be driving out here to share your sleeping bag. Well, I don't think so, but well, thanks anyway. Just phrase it differently. Or she recognized the lines. <laughs> <laughs> she recognized She the lines. will recognize the lines. She does, and that comes back when they used it in the film, too, which I love that. Yep. This might be the great scene when we really see what we're talking about here with this spontaneity and how Jack Ford, as Stephen Caffrey, feels so much like a director. Right? We see Sim Slim coming out of the, the house here. Right? There's the earthquake, right? So they have to kind of deal with that. Right. The accidental fire. Uh, I think we're having an earthquake. You think? Yeah, you're having yeah. an earthquake. <laughs> <laughs> what else could it be? 
right? So we see everybody adjusting to it. Of course, no. Jones does the great idea throwing gasoline on that. Why would there be a bucket of water next to a car? <laughs> what a genius. Throwing fuel on the fire. Right. But somehow he helps this scene, right? And he's yelling too, right? It's so urgent, right? You see what's going on here. Everybody's instructed to do something to quickly react to this. They don't have much time, right? No. And I like how she talks, too, in the silent film, because, of course, they put those, you know, uh, actual subtitles up in the finished film. Oh. Uh. <laughs> So they don't do this beforehand. He's just thinking of this in the spot. Yeah, it's all coming up, right? But again, it's so planned for the actual episode of Hollywood Follies. Right. I mean, imagine being on the set for this, right? Like, how cool would that be to see that happening? Oh, no. Foreshadowing. Well, no, and it's not foreshadowing because, of course, he was afraid of the snakes before. No, I'm talking about foreshadowing to a certain character's demise. Oh, I see. It's interesting, a lot of people still think, I guess maybe because they don't think young Indy is canon, but I've heard a lot of people say, oh yeah, Last Crusade is the first moment when Indy is afraid of snakes. It's actually a passion for life, British East Africa. It is. You know, and I've always been kind of like, well, admitting that doesn't mean you're knocking, you know, Last Crusade. Like, he's still afraid of snakes there. It just isn't the original moment, right? Like, and again here, right, he's afraid of snakes, right? Of course, it does a nice job of foreshadowing. Right, and that's another great moment. Yep. Right, he's like, move the camera down, right? It actually breaks by accident. Right, they have this, you know, warm hug here. Very warm. And then we see it in black and white too, which is great. I love they have these transitional shots like this. Right, this is all original footage because Six Steps to Hell was a fake film just for this episode. And that's what allowed them to do more things like this. I believe that was some historical footage right there. Yes, they are mixing in some footage. I'm not sure what westerns these are from, but I would assume they are John Ford westerns. Right, you see some of these shots showing kind of these transitional scenes. That's very Temple of Doom right there, right? <laughs> Falling into the rafter. She aggressively throws that spoon. Hey, that's your dinner right there. Very aggressively. Who wants to eat dirt? This feels very Indie-esque too, right here. This sort of spontaneous. And it looks slim in the background, of course. And then, oh, right back to color. How amazing is that? Fun fact, this shot was reused in the transitional segment for Spring Break Adventure, and they actually replaced both Indy and Slim there with Indy and Frank, because both of them are wearing fedoras. Uh, so yeah. it's really cool if you compare that shot. And I didn't even notice that. 
<laughs> Mail and booze. That's all you need from the supply truck. <laughs> be funny if he was singing a sea shanty right there right didn't you hear him singing irish eyes yeah yeah no she was so mean about that now she's like oh crap Nindy kind of knew this was going to happen you know <laughs> and that's what you know kind of ties it all together right nothing like a series of disasters to move the story along right what i like is that they really go to show that you don't shoot a film in order yes that's a good detail as well of course poor pete we need an house we need an house Indy coming up with these million dollar ideas, right? Right. Like, how creative is this? And look, very important detail. Jack Ford's name is on the director's chair. How many people are going to go through Drunk Paradise in this movie? We have Slim, Von Stroheim, Prince Massimo. <laughs> we got some serious drinking problems here. We see in this black and white shot that Jack Ford's hand is still in there. And then somehow it's gone, right? Because we see his hand right there. And then it's... Oh, you let go of him. <laughs> I love that part. And then in the black and white one, you'll see his hand's not there. I'll have to take a quick look at... Oh! That's interesting how they were able to do that. It's funny when you look at him, because you know he's out of it. <laughs> but I'm not sure if a regular, you know, viewer of this, you know, fictitious film would have seen that. Right. He's not drunk, he's dead. He's not drunk, he's dead. There's that foreshadowing. Sorry, folks. Looks like Edwin wasn't alone. Also, wait, is that a handgun? Because I was going to say, yeah, he yeah. shot a critter with a handgun, so that's a nice parallel. He did. Yeah. <laughs> Jack. All right, let's take a break. Oh, God. Oh, I love Indy's worried look all the time. It's like he almost forgets that there's a dead person here. I know. And he's like, wait a minute. That other guy looking way out in the background. Okay, back to work. Rob? Andy's like, what? <laughs> Wasn't much of a moment. We've got to stop filming. We've got to. No house and no slim. You have a door frame in Indy. <laughs> Look at this moment. Yeah, this is great. Why is he holding that stick, by the way? What, what is that for? Was he... Did he use that to poke uh, Slim? Is that what he did with it? Music reference to Passion for Life right here, by the way. Really? Yeah. Harry returns with Kitty. It's the first time you've seen her. Now, you're meant to now this scene is hilarious. 
I mean, imagine if you're Sean Patrick Flannery. You have to pretend to not act and act badly. Like, how do you do that? As an actor. Right. Yeah. You're acting being a bad actor. I love how he looks at, the, looks at him, too. <laughs> the music really adds the farce to it as well. It's like going against every instinct as an actor that you would exactly. have at that point in your career. He's like, sir, it's the saddle. All right. Cut! What are you doing, Mr. Jones? Sir, it, it, it's, it's the saddle. <laughs> Quiet! And we really see Jack. He's not, he's not abused by this at all, right? No. Anyone who cannot put one foot in front of the other without falling flat on his face has yet to make it out of the nursery. With the exception of Indy, right? Coordination in one human being. That's lunch. Also takes a break for lunch. The mood is ruined, right? It's, yeah, it's a lot like Von Stroheim. And then everyone's now pulling for him. Quite an elaborate lunch we have here. I know, I could go for some. And then we have this discussion, right? How do you act? Which is so interesting in the case of all of these actors, right? It's sort of the educational aspect of this episode. Don't look at the camera, Jack. Keep your hands out of your pockets. Just loosen up. If I can make a living out of playing cowboy, so can you. Look, Jack didn't hire you just because the hat fit. It's better direction. It's funny that Kitty also says that comment because that's kind of what it looks like in the episode, right? He's like, it oh, does. fedora. Indy has a fedora. I'm just going to switch him out. And then again, I love these black and white, you know, scenes. Again, kind of showing the progress of the film. You were talking about how it's out of order, right? And using other sequences as well. I'm curious why George Lucas wanted to do that. I don't know if it was sort of experimental editing or something, but, you know, we talked about All Quiet on the Western Front, right? Using that in Trenches of Hell, as well as, I think a couple were used in Demons, potentially. And then transitioning to their own film and footage of their characters. You can tell the difference, though. You can. Ever so slightly, I think. Let go. There's three steps to hell, Johnny Flynn. Three steps to hell. <laughs> I like that little change there. Interesting how they show kind of that script uh, continuity person there. Yep. Indy now that's speeding real there, effects. Right. That's some practical effects right there. Look at Jack. He's loving this. Again, little those little moments there. I want to print that. Right. That's a very like sort of movie esque thing to say. Of course, when you have a shot, you want to print. Right. Like those details. How did they do that? Right, I'm not sure. <laughs> Elevate just touches his back, he falls over. Right on the money, Jack. I love Wyatt Earp's inclusion in this episode, too. Kind of I know. following along. Right at first, right, he seems like such a villain, right, with Indy there. And then, of course, you know, he, he kind of proves them all wrong, right, when he's like, you know, there's, you're going to use a rifle, not a handgun, and now he's, like, approving the whole thing. It's very interesting how that dynamic changes. And then you see Indy here, right, of course. Mm-hmm. Very sort of Indiana Jones-esque with this, these shots from black and white to color, which is amazing. 
what's interesting is that I think one of the classic Western tropes is the good guy has a white hat and the bad guy has a black hat. Right. So having the main character have a black hat is an interesting choice. Well, that goes back to what Wyatt Earp was saying. He's right, you know, good guys, bad guys. Good guys and bad These guys, These men were yeah. heroes, right? So they don't really want that. So it's authentic in that sense, I think. That's true. Yeah, really great editing. This uh, episode also had an Emmy nomination for Best Visual Effects, and they certainly pulled that off well, I think. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Yeah, everyone's getting injured. I don't know what you guys are going to do without any stuntmen. I'm sure Mr. Ford will think of something. Excuse me, would you mail this for me? Thank you. And then again, these transitional sequences, too, as well, when they fade... Or sometimes it starts from that little circle, right? Yep. It's almost a parallel scene there. With the stretcher there. I like that shot. Oh, yeah, that's a really nice shot. Well composed. It is with the with the color there. Ooh, amazing. How many pages have we been doing a day? Ten. Let me see your script. Jack and Pete. Love this dynamic. One, two, five, not that one. Seven, eight, nine, ten. <laughs> Just rips it right out. It's firewood. Forget it. <laughs> back on schedule, right? It's funny how Jack Ford is almost proving Pete wrong in this, too, in a, in a sense. Right. Claire. It's Claire. Look at that. I love this hug between them right there. What have they done to you, Indiana Jones? <laughs> I also love <laughs> the use of his name, Indiana Jones. Not just Indy, yeah. it's the full thing. That's always a nice touch. Uh-oh. She's going to chew him out. Yeah. This letter is hilarious. And the way she says it, too, right? It's a, it's almost mocking him. <laughs> Vomited over my waffles. <laughs> Look at Jack too. He's just getting humor out of the whole thing, right? It's interesting though, because I think we assume when Indy leaves, she probably gets back together with Tony. Right, who was so, right for her, right? Exactly. Yeah, I would assume so. And another way that they connect is through this idea of the fedora when Indy puts it on her. I love that. And he's like, every time I see this, I'll think of you in the movies. That's a really touching moment, I think. One of the few times he puts his fedora on a character. He does it with Rosa, too, in Petrograd. I love that one. That's one of my right. favorites. Right. After, uh... At the birthday party. Yeah, St. Petersburg. Remind me of you and the desert. You know, watching this show for so long now, I really love the casting choice of Sean Patrick Flannery. I mean, River Phoenix would have been nice, of course, you know, had he agreed to do it. But I think he brings a nice amount of Harrison Ford's portrayal into it. I mean, he studied the movies, he, he said, you know, before he, he shot the first episode. But Corey Carrier just, to me, doesn't have just just the same feel i think you know i think a lot of it is is mostly sort of kind of implied through the story and the script right indy sees a snake and he runs away but the characteristics i think are more in sean patrick flannery with the amount of sean patrick flannery episodes 
it makes those ones feel a little less believable. Like, had there been more Cory Carrier episodes, I think they would have established that a bit more. I did enjoy a lot of the Cory Carrier episodes. Yeah, there were some good ones. Morning. Well, it's the last day. Yeah, last day. But we should all be home by sundown if everything goes well. How do you figure that? Well, let me show you. You see, it's like this. Originally, there were five long scenes where Flynn saved Kitty, but... This is a great scene, too, here. Here we have the Maverick scene coming up. Right. And the Raider scene. And Stagecoach, right? Yep. In fact, I guess it's more common than we have thought it was. I like how he's like, oh, it's going down. Right? When he says that wagon looks steep. And again, right before this, we saw Pete. He was like, there's no way we're going to finish this. Right? They're literally, they have a day left in one scene, and he's so, you know, pessimistic. You, Mr. Jones. Well, you're indispensable. That's Indy for you. Without the shot, I haven't got. And look at Claire too. How much would you pay a stuntman? Claire, this is between me and Mr. Jones. Tell him how much you pay. <laughs> fifty, fifty-five. Fifty, fifty-five. The way she rolls her eyes. Six. Good detail. Indy, Indy's trying to bargain. I love how he throws the rock too. No, Claire, that's most of my Claire, I can do this. It's not a big mistake. Yes, it is. He would have paid you a hundred. Poor Indy right there. I know. <laughs> when he finds out that he, you could have gotten paid a hundred. I will say, say what you want about this episode being the last one in the series. This is a great moment to have the stagecoach indie, right? It's Jack Ford who obviously created that scene, which inspired Raiders, which then inspired this, right? It's all tied together. Mm hmm. Indy saves the movie. Just don't forget, once you're on the wagon, pull them up as soon as you can. There's no time to waste. Those final curves are fatal. Looks at Claire one last time, you know, a little wave. I mean, this is dangerous. All right, let's get this done. Roll cameras. That guy working the camera kind of looks like uh, Sean O'Casey. Yeah, you're right. And here we go. I love this moment when Claire sort of gets up a little bit with fear there, and Indy just rolls down the hill. I love this young indie theme. It's amazing. Oh, just brings back the spirit of adventure, right? Oh, yeah. I think it's one of the few times that you actually hear the real theme, right? You're right. Because uh, in the original broadcast, it was used in the opening sort of credits. But then it got rid of that for the DVD. That dummy is not convincing. No, it's not. <laughs> it doesn't look anything like her. It's, in fact, it's horrifying. And yeah, I love how Jack Ford is shouting these instructions, right? So passionate. There's so much tension and suspense in this scene. Okay, who's filming from inside the, the carriage? <laughs> but I do love that we see Indy struggle here because it's not until Raiders where this is almost easy for him. But he does it with intention. Here it's by accident.
Amazing. Big mistake this was, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Sound effects immediately drop out, and we see it as a movie. I mean, that really ties it together. Yeah. I mean, such a great action sequence. It's amazing. And then, how do we tie it together even more? Well, we've got the sunset scene, which, you, like you said, was shot first. Yep. And then the line coming back from Clara. Beautiful music. That look from Claire, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know she recognizes the lines. And again, Irving's back to see it too, you know, tying this together. Such an Indiana Jones-esque ending for that movie, right? Oh, he fell asleep. Even Pete, you know, he's like, oh, this turned out pretty well, huh? Archaeology is not safer. <laughs> if there's any <laughs> evidence of that in the movies, he would have been better off here. Okay. I love this. Good luck, kid. All right. It's just so simple, but it, I think it states who Jack Ford is, right? He's not going to give him this big goodbye, but he knows that he means... We know he means well, right? And then this is the big goodbye. You can tell there was probably some instruction here to really emphasize this and go overboard. I mean, they kiss, what, three, four times here? Three times? Yeah, and then she jumps through the window, too. I love how she tips the fedora, too. Again, those little details make this. And how about the music? Jack Ford walks up. Oh, what an ending. Rides off into, well, not the sunset, but... I mean, that last shot is amazing. It is a sunset, it seems like. Look at the lighting. Golden hour. I mean, through the middle, just great sort of symmetry there with the palm trees, and then the music to finish it all off. Black and white. And there it is. I think you can tell there was a lot of intention that this was the last episode. Right. It's a, it's a pretty good one to end on. I don't think it's as strong as some of the best ones in the series, just because... Like, it, it doesn't quite have the same dramatic stakes as some of the others, like Ogongo or uh, the ones in the trenches, but it does a good job of sort of capturing that feeling of the 1920s and Indy after the war, sort of exploring his options out there, you know? I like the way the, the, the sort of jerky motion, it really does look like that old film. It does, and perfect for this episode, of course. United Film Orchestra Budapest. Oh, amazing. And then, of course, there's always Old Indy closing the book. And that is the end for the adventures of young Indiana Jones and Hollywood Follies with Chapter 22. But, uh, in any case, with that said... That is going to wrap up our review of Young Indiana Jones of the DVD release. Uh, for those who have been listening since the very beginning, my first adventure, uh, and for those who just tuned in today, thanks for listening, guys. I hope you really enjoyed this. 
Um, if this is your first time listening, of course, please subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, tell people what you think about the show. Uh, we'd love to hear from you on Twitter. You know, what did you think of the format of this episode and also just our entire Young Indie Review series, right? You can find us on Twitter at The Indie Universe. Join our conversation over there. Uh, of course, as we've mentioned before, uh, while this is the end of our Young Indie Review series, which I think actually will be three years to the day, because if I remember correctly, I think my first adventure was recorded in July, I want to say, and came out on August 6th. And I think we plan to put this one up the first week of August. So it might be to the day, you know, three years. What did you think of this entire experience? And of course, um, you know, we have plenty more Young Indie episodes in the future looking at the old indie bookends, uh, looking at, you know, book adaptations, comics, uh, the unproduced episodes, many other assorted topics. Uh, we've also got a, a really cool Young Indie project in the works right now that we're excited to share with you as well. So lots more to come, guys. Um, you can also visit our website if you want to learn more about our podcast at www.theindianajonesuniverse.com. Uh, but once again, thank you guys for joining us, and we'll see you next time. And once again, I'm Elijah. And I'm Will. And until next time, so, so long, Dr. Jones. Jones.